thinking in my head uh, yesterday as I was sitting down to watch the basketball game last night. I was like, you know, it was a really quiet week. I really didn't do much this week. Like, I didn't go out. I didn't really see my friends that much. It was a really down week. And I thought to myself, you're a moron because your schedule is going to get very busy very soon. So you should probably soak this up. Have you ever Enjoy had that, that. Where, you, where you complain of, like, I didn't do anything this week. And then you just kind of, like lose sleep for a month solid you know what i think that i kind of have the opposite when it's like when i start to think about that like when i'm like oh man i'm, I'm not doing much immediately there's another voice in my head that comes in right away being like this is beautiful enjoy this linger in this moment because it's so few and far between so i can definitely appreciate having those weeks so i don't know if i had quite quite the com the inner conflict that you did welcome to wherever you are my name is ryan mcneil in toronto canada and you are listening to episode 100. 95 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie loving podcast of my movie loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. It feels as though in the past years, March has been like panning for gold at the cinema. It's the spot on the calendar where big films are really dumb and smaller films are hard to find. And on the whole, just a place that studios don't want to go. This year, though, dear listeners, it is not the case. Besides lingering in the afterglow of Black Panther. Did you go see that? Oh, absolutely. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There are a lot of great-looking studio offerings and even more smaller selections to feed our springtime hunger. It's almost like the studios remember that people like to get out of their houses when the winter starts to fade. What a thought. (laughs) I know, right? So the last few shows and the next few shows are something of an embarrassment of riches in that we actually have to choose what we want to talk about on this podcast, and that's not usually how it goes this time of year. Speaking of choice... We have a choice guest joining us today who is making her second appearance in less than a year after becoming a part of the local social scene and even indulging me in a few lightbox screenings over the last year. Jolie Ryan Featherstone is here today. How are you, miss? I am very well now that I'm here fill, or shooting this, recording this, however you put it in podcast. Up with you. on a Saturday morning, <laughs> you know, we talked about like, like being up on time and, you know and, and adulting. I, if I get up early for you, it means that you're obviously an awesome person. Oh, so. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> and I feel also very honored because you're almost at your 200th episode, so yeah. this is a big deal. And I finally figured out what we're going to do. Assuming my plans come together, I'm actually really excited because I'm going to do something really special um, oh, for, awesome. for, for 200 shows. It took a while to kind of – I had several different ideas, and I couldn't actually really settle on one. But this week, we kind of started putting plans together. Oh, and awesome. I was like, oh, this will work out really nicely with this other thing that I've got going on. Ooh, so looking it. forward to I'm that. excited. On episode 195, we will be discussing Thoroughbreds. We'll be turning the record over to play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about Jolie. This is Know Your Enemy. episode 182 we talked about a ghost story which made my list of one of the best of you did that linger as like one of the best you saw last year i would i would say so yeah it was definitely in in it's very high up on my list yeah i haven't gone back to it oddly enough like it's been on netflix for months but Mm -hmm. i haven't I, I can't go back there. So, on episode 182, we learned that the first film Jolie had ever seen in a theater was Casper. The last film she'd seen at the time was Point Break. The worst film she'd ever seen was Hot Tub Time Machine. The unseen classic or essential is Lawrence of Arabia, which I believe still stands. It still stands, still stands. unfortunately. <laughs> and the film that she wished she made was Amasur. Uh, in English, it's called That Girl. That movie is fantastic. Yes, that, I'm so I, glad I, you I, Yeah, it I got my hands it. on that and 
wow, that was not what I expected. No, yeah. Um, and uh, I actually had, I guess, either the, the I would say, privilege to have heard uh, or heard someone I really admired speak about it beforehand. So I didn't know how the film was going to go entirely, okay. but I was sort of given a little hint that there was going to be a very interesting ending. So yeah. when the ending came, I, I think I was not blinds on it, but it, it hit me very hard, but it, I was at least given that opportunity to kind of mull it over and, and be sort of somewhat prepared for something. I was, I was oddly enough, I was blindsided, which is strange because I do remember when it came out, I remember reading about um, how it was dividing audiences, how yeah. some bought that ending and some absolutely loathed that mm-hmm. ending. Times, of course, have changed since like 2002 and now yeah. that ending means something very, very different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so thank you for that. Uh, nice recommendation. Who knows what we're going to get into today on round two. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Miss Featherstone, what is a film you like that seemingly nobody else does? <laughs> so, I'm actually rather embarrassed to say this. Oh, I goody. thought I'm going to give my most embarrassing answer and um, I'm going to have to say... Well, I'll say two things, just because there's one that sticks out in my mind very clearly, and one was, uh, this is the lesser embarrassing one, I okay. would say, but when I was in film school, we did, uh, or I did a course on Italian cinema specifically, and we watched uh, Teorema by Pasolini, and I I was just enthralled by it, absolutely enthralled by it, and then at the final day of the course, our professor actually went around to every single student in the class and asked what everyone, what was their favorite film and what their least favorite film was, and everyone kept saying Teorema, and I was just gobsmacked Hmm. to the, I was just so um, galvanized into getting up on my, like, you know, my young, I can't remember how old I was, probably like 21 or so, and going on this big monologue about how enthralling it was and how interesting it was. And I'm sure my professor um, probably appreciated it to some extent. And to some extent was like, oh, you're just so cute. You know, <laughs> why don't you just, that's great kid. You know, So that one sticks out in my mind. But the most embarrassing one I'd have to say is Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. <laughs> let's, let, let, let's dig into that. <laughs> let, let's, let's take some time with that one. Oh God. So first, okay. First of all, why do you like that movie? You know what? I think I saw Make it. no apologies. I, Why do you like that You movie? know what? Yeah, you're right. I'm going to come with the approach of not feeling guilty or embarrassed. Um, but I saw it when I was really young, and I actually hadn't seen the original Dirty Dancing, which is sort of sacrilegious wow. to watch Havana Nights before the original. But I watched it, and I think it just tapped into a part of me when I was young, and I hadn't I hadn't really had the opportunity to travel yet, and I've been fortunate now that I've had um, opportunities to travel. But, you know, when I was younger, all I dreamt about was traveling and exploring. And here was a movie about, you know, this young girl who I could kind of relate to because she was sort of nerdy and she was very like into her into her books and her studying. And here she goes off to Cuba, obviously someplace she's never been before, and has this beautiful and uh, romantic adventure. And I just thought, wow, that's so cool. Um, and, you know, I actually watched it last year to see if I still enjoyed it. And? And I'm not embarrassed at all to say that I did still enjoy it. That is awesome. Yeah, very uh, embarrassing. Um, and, and, like, I mean, obviously, it's probably hard to find people to, like, bond with that movie over. You don't find a whole lot of people who, no. first of all, admit that they're fans of it. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think there's actually legions of people out there that love that film. They're just too embarrassed to say it. There's legions of people that love every film. <laughs> that, that's what I kind of, it's, it's kind of sweet in that way that, yeah. like, every film kind of has its, 
has its core audience that they're going for. Um, I, I have not seen it. Uh, I think we own it. I, I, I kind of think. Do? We, oh my I, God. I, I want to say that we do. Can we all have a movie night sometime, please? I'm gonna go with no. I. I <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You're probably you're not missing that. Like I mean, the crazy thing is, I love Romola Garay. Yeah, I love I Diego Luna. I love a lot of the people in this movie. Yeah, yeah. The, the cast is great, actually. Yeah, and, and I, you know, like you, I do like movies that are set in pretty places, mm-hmm. and and you know, I'm, I'm certainly not above a good dance movie. I, like I, I like the original. Yeah. Um, a lot and from what I understand the second one is like it's very much like the original again isn't it just in just this time in Cuba yeah I mean it, it is and it isn't like I think the original had um, it, you know there was just something very I felt raw about the original um, as raw as like a, a mainstream sort of dance romantic film can be I guess but yeah. there was just something to me when I did watch the original that had this sort of rawness to it where Dirty Dancing Havana Nights does not have that it's very glossy mm. um, it's very which is very I think that's a little unusual for me to, to, to uh, really enjoy a film so glossy but I just I really enjoyed it okay. and it's still I still enjoy it and it's funny when I did watch it last year I tried to like rally the troops I, I tried to rally everyone in my life to watch it with me absolutely no takers no one oh, no man. one not even my sister who I thought might indulge me a little bit no no <laughs> I can tell you in 195 episodes that's the first time that movie has come up so well done uh, all right let's let's flip the coin over what is the movie that everybody else digs that you don't actually going back to that uh, class where yeah, I had yeah. my little monologue um, <laughs> and it, I was such a quiet student so I think my prof was kind of just gobsmacked that I even was so Spoken passionately up, monologuing right. yeah. to begin with but a lot of the students in that class um, their favorite film of that course was Cinema Paradiso oh. and um, I mean it is it is a beautiful and very um, I don't want to say whimsical but it is a really beautiful and, and nostalgic film and for me that was actually one of my least favorite films of the class Um, and I wouldn't say that I didn't enjoy it because I I did I just didn't I don't think it it struck a chord with me as much as some of the other films did so I felt Mm. like a bit of a a bit of a a charlatan (laughs) saying that that was my least favorite film of the class it's funny I haven't seen that movie in a while Mm -hmm. Um, I do remember liking it but mm. the, the as my film literacy has gone on because I I didn't study much in school and a lot of this has just been like self-taught mm-hmm. um, exposure to a lot of this stuff I, I've noticed that a lot of the modern Italian cinema sort of feels like watered down classic Italian cinema mm, okay. um, and, and and that I think is one of those things that kind of like coming to Dirty Dancing Havana Nights before you see Dirty Dancing. Yeah. It seems fantastic and it seems wonderful Mm -hmm. until you find out that there's other stuff. Yeah. Right? It's a great gateway drug. Absolutely. Um, And a a decent example of modern Mm -hmm. Italian cinema. Like I'd rather sit somebody down to watch Cinema Paradiso more than I'd like to sit them down to watch Life is Beautiful. Or Gamora or something. Or Gamora. Or or, or even just or like like Milena. Mm -hmm. Um, Which again these are movies I like. Yeah. But it's it, it's kind of like Italy as a country and as a film movement did so many amazing things early that mm. this kind of feels like a glimmer yeah. of that. So maybe, I don't know, like maybe that was what you were thinking at the time. Like you're thinking, we just saw all this really incredible stuff. Yeah. And then we saw this, you know, cute thing at the end yeah. that's and trying to be a love letter to all those other things. I think that's a good point because I, I, I definitely enjoyed it and I enjoyed it as a love letter to cinema and right. as a love letter to 
uh, to film lovers, you yeah. know, um, and I, I obviously really appreciated that aspect of it. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head by saying that we watched all these films that came um, before that and you know they were very political and they were very um in some cases they were disturbing in some cases they were unsettling and i and appreciated those experiences i think more than i appreciated the experience of cinema paradiso mm -hmm. having said that though i think if i came back to cinema paradiso now i'd probably appreciate it a whole lot more um so to be fair i should kind of revisit it well it's it's kind of funny because one of the little mottos of this show is watch it again yeah <laughs> um but i i you know i, I think it it might be just it might just be that it might be you know you like it but other people love it mm -hmm. and and you're saying you know i i like it but i like these other things a lot more mm -hmm. which i don't actually i don't think that's an answer it's a sort of answer has come up mm -hmm. in in relation to that question so okay. well, well played we got there <laughs> uh what was one of the last films to make you cry um, I think we talked about this last time we chatted, but Call Me By Your Name was probably the last film to make me cry. I watched Call Me By Your uh, Name, yes. and I essentially cried all the way home. <laughs> and I took the Go Train home, so it's even more embarrassing. Oh, boy. <laughs> but that was, that was definitely the last one that made me cry. And I watched it twice, and um, I think I, I teared up the second watching as well. Final scene, uh, I just thought Timothy Chalamet... I can't, I just thought he portrayed that last scene so well. I think that that was such a difficult scene as an actor um, to do because I felt it could either be very underdone to the point that it doesn't have that searing quality that he just nailed, or it could be very easily overdone. And Are we almost... talking about the scene on the phone or the scene with the fireplace? The scene with the fireplace. Okay, okay. Um, Which is strange yeah. as a moment because mm -hmm. the credits start going. Exactly. Which and I like thought your was own, so like, interesting. I don't know about your audience, but a lot of my audience was just sticking around they're like we're oh, not yeah. going absolutely same i think both screenings i i went to everyone stayed until the very end and i think um i certainly wasn't the only one who got teary i don't think there was a dry eye in the house so mm. i think everyone was sort of bewitched by that moment and stuck around to the end of the credits which is you know doesn't always happen so no. that was really i to me that scene uh really was the one that got the tears going for me. I mean, like, people don't <laughs> stick through the credits unless it's a Marvel movie and they're waiting for a cookie. Are you an easy mark? Do you normally cry at movies? Uh, I was actually just thinking about this this morning. Um, I I feel <laughs> I feel as I've gotten older, I, I do cry more easily at movies, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't say that I'm an easy mark, but I do, whenever I watch a film, I mean, it really depends on how I watch it. If I'm watching it from one sense, then... I might not cry at all, but certainly if I'm watching it and I'm really sort of giving empathy to that character, really trying to connect their experiences with my own, then of course I think I will very easily cry. <laughs> but I think I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm either very, I wouldn't say I'm on either side of the spectrum. I think I'm right in the middle. Like, right. you right. know, I don't think I'm a super easy crier, but I'm I'm certainly not the roughest, toughest one out there okay. for sure. <laughs> you, you actually picked a film that got me crying as mm -hmm. well. With me, it was the scene at the end where Michael Stuhlbarg starts talking. Yeah. Um, Frank Ocean even mm -hmm. tweeted about there tweeted about that after mm -hmm. the movie, and I think he said something like, "I hope all of you have a Michael Stuhlbarg in your life oh, to, to to talk like this." And yeah. I just remember, I don't think I've seen that in a movie of one generation speaking to another generation. Mm -hmm. Shit, I, like two generations ago yeah. about something so tender. Like I, yeah. I, I, I think that was it was a combination of things. It was 
how he was saying what he was saying mm-hmm. and the the circumstances under which he was saying it and it just yeah. it just nailed me oh yeah that was that was an incredible scene and i mean just the words itself were incredible and i think everyone can can use reminding uh, of, of what he was trying to say in that moment but certainly as you said all the other layers that are involved in that moment it's just it's incredible and um interestingly enough i went to my, the second time i watched the film it was a screening and then uh andre Esamon, the author of mm-hmm. by your name was there and i was actually really intrigued um by the parents and call me by your name and i'm I've read the book as well, so I was I wanted to ask him that, and someone did ask him before I even got to, so I think I wasn't the only one intrigued by those parents, and he actually said he wrote those parents modeled after his own. Oh, wow. And I was, I just thought that was really beautiful, and I thought, you know, wow. And he didn't go too much more into detail, mm-hmm. but he just said that he modeled the parents and Call Me By Your Name after his own, That's and I wonderful. thought that was really wow. interesting. In the movie of your life, who plays you? Oh my gosh, that's such a such a tough question. That's the fun question. It man. is fun. I mean, it is really fun. Um, Steve Buscemi. No, I don't know. Oh, I, <laughs> Although I, I, I would totally see that movie. <laughs> I love Steve Buscemi. Um, maybe can I have like a movie? If if the movie about my life could it be one where you have multiple actors <laughs> playing the same person, or is that a cop out? Sure. No. Okay. <laughs> like a, like a, like an inside out kind of thing, except everybody's outside of your head. Exactly. Okay. Right? Um, All right. I don't know. I feel. There's a few that come to mind. I think there's two people that I think externally, like people often tell me that I, I guess my mannerisms remind them of or something like that. But two that I hear frequently is Jennifer Lawrence and Saoirse Ronan. I get that a lot. I don't know if it's mannerisms or what. Um, I think Kate McKinnon could do a good job playing me. <laughs> I don't know why. I feel like I she want Kate could. McKinnon to play me. Yeah, right. I just Kate McKinnon should just play every character out there, and I actually really think she'd do well in a dramatic role. I don't know why I think that, but I think that she. Would. I'm, I'm waiting because, like, yeah. every time I see some of these SNL actors go on to do some serious stuff, mm-hmm. they always just amaze, right? Yeah. Like uh, even uh, you know Kristen Wiig, and uh, like yeah, I kind of see her following that same sort of career path. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like Kate McKinnon's one of those people that could really um, could really do a good job with that. Although I haven't actually seen her portray a dramatic role yet. for some reason yet, yes. exactly. But I feel that it's coming and I feel that she would do a really good job. But yeah, maybe I could just have a film where three different actors play me at different courses in my life and... Or just depending on the scene, like one, <laughs> exactly. one, you know, one of them is the professional you, mm-hmm. one of them is the romantic you, one of them is the, you know, the angry you. Like you know, exactly. depending on your mood, yeah, that's yeah. who we, that's who we see. I like or, or this how, idea. All right, I really know. like this idea. So absolutely. do I. Well done, <laughs> Frances uh, McDormand. You can throw her in there oh, too. <laughs> done. Sold. Uh, last but not least, what are you watching next? Next, I have a few films on my list, but um, definitely, I really want to see a Fantastic Woman. I haven't seen that yet. Me neither. Um, and want to go. Yeah, absolutely. Let's <laughs> okay, do it. Let's, yeah. Got nothing oh, going on this week. Let's yeah. do it. Honestly, I really want to see a fantastic woman. I also really want to see Loveless as well, which is also playing at the oh, Lightbox. Oh, that looks daunting. It, like, that looks way. Russian and sad <laughs> and depressing. I mean, I do want to see it. Yeah. But I mean... We'll stick with a fantastic woman first. Okay. And then, you know, when you're feeling ready to loveless, we'll go see Okay. <laughs> I, it's funny because I've, I've been meaning to get around to fantastic woman for a while. I, I've seen, I saw it on um, a video essay that a critic named David Ehrlich does every mm-hmm. year. Like he puts together his 25 favorite movies. And it was, I think it was like the, one of the first ones that came up is like number 25. Okay, yeah. And I remember thinking it looked really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I got that trailer before... 
I think like three of the indies that I watched over the winter. Like I know I got it before Film Stars Don't Lie in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I got it before Calling By Your Name. Okay. And there's one more that I'm forgetting. And every time I was like, I gotta see that. Right. I, I gotta see that. Yeah. Shit. I really gotta go see that. <laughs> um, and then yeah, when it won the Oscar, I'm like, okay, time's up. Yeah. Really gotta see it now. Exactly. So. I'm actually happy that it won because I think that means it'll stick around a yes, little bit longer. I and... hope so as well. I think that it will. Um, certainly at some certain cinemas in the city, I think it will stick around. I, I really want to see that. That's probably next on my list. Um, and then Loveless. When you're feeling up for it, you let me know. Yeah, we'll see. But we, <laughs> fantastic woman. We'll make plans before the show ends. All right. That's more about Jolie. We'll learn more next time she shows up, which, you know, if you're going by your calendar so far, eh, November. For now, though, we need to get into the new slang. We are going to be talking about thoroughbreds right after this. Come on back. is directed and written by Corey Finley. It stars Lydia Cook, Anya Taylor-Joy, Anton Yelchin, Paul Sparks, and Francie Swift. It's the story of Lily and Amanda. Amanda is ostracized in her community for being a troubled girl. She's caught up in charges of animal cruelty and has no friends to speak of. Her mother sends her to study with Lily, and while at first their interaction seems arranged and mercenary, something about Amanda fascinates and appeals to Lily and she begins to hang around her voluntarily, fraught as their relationship tends to be. In the background of all this is Mark, Lily's emotionally abusive, rich-as-hell stepfather. When Amanda sees how Mark acts and how it seems to affect Lily, she suggests they kill him. And at first, Lily rebukes the idea, as any of us would, but soon it seems like a pretty good idea, and the girls put a plan in motion to slay the wicked stepfather. I want to start with the feeling of watching this film because a lot of these March movies I alluded to at the beginning are big, buzzy, candy-colored movies. Here, for the second time, you and I are talking about something small, something patient, something quiet, and something uncomfortable. It's sometimes ugly, it's often awkward, and it demands our attention, which isn't what a lot of people go to the movies to do. So, pop quiz hotshot. Why do we go to these movies that are emotionally uncomfortable, like thoroughbreds? I, to me, that's just what's interesting. That's what's fascinating. There's nothing more fascinating to me than humans and what we do and why we do it. And I think that um, film, often films that are that are quieter and take their time, as we talked about with a ghost story and thoroughbreds, I think it allows us to appreciate those sort of small key turn moments in people's lives or decision-making process and I just find that I find that fascinating I think it it allows you to kind of play with that a little bit and play with um how you would make that decision or how you would come to a situation like that um and oftentimes I just find them more interesting you know Mm. what I mean it's nice to I think sometimes those films are a bit more descriptive than they are prescriptive and I think that a lot of audiences want that you know I think that we don't necessarily um, you know sometimes we want to have a bit of a moment where the the decision-making isn't always clear or easy it's uh, the moral questions are a bit murky I think we enjoy stuff like that it, it allows us to kind of plunge deeper into our own thoughts and our own thought processes and um, it's 
it's just I think it's for thoroughbreds particularly I just thought it was electrifying it's something that's very quiet and and very thoughtfully done and yet every at every turn there's something that sort of jolts you and I personally found that just captivating I thought it was it, it was just an electrifying film it's it's weird because this week there was somebody put up on Twitter, like one of the one of the film outlets put up on Twitter. When was the last time you felt extremely uncomfortable in a theater? Mm-hmm. Um, and and there were lots of interesting answers. Everything from feeling like really terrified to mm-hmm. feeling really awkward around like some really crazy sexual stuff. With mm-hmm. you know, um, but I think strange as it is that is one of the things that i want to experience like i want to be yeah. unsettled it, yeah. it these are i i hate to admit this openly these are people that if i was hanging around them i'd probably leave the room <laughs> you know i don't really want to hang around people like amanda and lily mm-hmm. beyond having to like being polite and being engaging mm-hmm. but not necessarily making plans to go see you know, loveless mm-hmm. with them, um, <laughs> where where I can watch more people like them. Exactly. But I, I want to still um, listen to these people's stories mm-hmm. and pay attention to them yeah. and feel that. You know, I, I don't know if it's maybe like a desire to fuel my own sense of empathy, mm-hmm. or if it's the idea that I know at home I'll disengage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, for me, seeing a movie like this. Or a ghost story, or um, you know, Blue Valentine is another yeah. one. Like watching a relationship just oh, yeah. to crumble. That film, oh yeah, absolutely. You, I, I feel like the, these are conversations mm-hmm. that I would leave the room, and in doing that, I would miss something. You know, and I think uh, there's just something that you mentioned that I thought um, was really interesting. How you said that if these were folks that you met or you know happened upon in real life, you might want to disengage, or you might want to not make plans with them or uh, hang out with them for, for too long. And I think that watching films like this um, gives us a safe way to do that. It's it's sort of getting out of your comfort zone without getting out of your comfort zone. You know what I mean? And um, it, I personally enjoy because I like, uh, I think I like being kind of poked and prodded by a film. I liked the, I like films that sort of ask me those questions and sort of poke me and prod me and sometimes it's very uncomfortable or it's very awkward or it can right. be very scary or it can be very uh, emotional and I think that's good. I think it's healthy. Um, I enjoy it. Those are the films that I seek out and that stay with me um, because I think it allows me to kind of broach different situations or different experiences um, without maybe having to go through it myself, but it allows me to experience these stories and experience these moments that are very human and can be very real, um, but in a very sort of safe way, I suppose. You know, getting into what we thought of this movie, I actually did find this movie really personal and Mm. really intimate. Mm. I had lots of moments where I thought not I should not I want to leave this room mm-hmm. I should not be in this room mm-hmm. um, yeah that's a good way to put it you know I, I should not be it, it's I mean listen part of it is with this movie that I enjoyed is um, I'm fully aware that women and girls talk with each other in different ways than they would when there's a guy present absolutely yeah. also with this of course Teenagers are mm-hmm. going to talk differently than they would when a grown-up is present. Absolutely. So I am yeah. watching these two girls, mm-hmm. um, like eighteen-year-old girls, mm-hmm. be themselves, mm-hmm. or or you know, strangely, 
in one case, be a person she thinks the world wants her to be mm-hmm. and have her wrestle with that versus herself. Yeah. So it, it is intimate. I yeah. am I am in a spot I am not, maybe that's why I go see these movies. I'm in a spot I'm not supposed to be. Yeah. And that helps me color what I understand with you know the the very few teenagers that I happen to still drift in and out of my orbit mm-hmm. certainly the women who do drift in and out of my orbit um, of what I don't get to see mm-hmm. um, so I mean like that for me was probably the biggest really great takeaway of this kind of movie because I mean when I came away from this movie I really didn't know what to think I was like I think I liked that, but I'm not sure I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think? Like coming away from this movie, what did you think of yeah. this movie specifically? And I like that you did touch upon the fact that these are, you know, two uh, young 18 year old women, and I went into it kind of thinking, you know, I I wasn't quite sure how I'd feel about this film. I went into it being excited by the premise, being excited by the story. I wasn't super thrilled about seeing um, a director tell a, a a young woman's story. I wasn't super thrilled a about A male that. director. Exactly. Yeah. I wasn't super thrilled about seeing a male director sort of tell a young woman's story. Um, Wait, I want to I want to hold you there. Yeah. How, because I have, obviously have no idea. Mm-hmm. How do you think he did? You know what? I think it's... I personally actually really enjoyed this film. Okay. I enjoyed the experience of it. And again, I, I don't necessarily mean enjoy in a sense of it, it made me very happy no, or no. joyous. We, we want to make this very clear. Yeah. We bo- well, well, we're coming across <laughs> as we both liked this movie. Yes. We didn't like this movie. Like, yeah. I, I definitely enjoyed it. I am by no way saying that I would make the choices no, that the characters no. made in this Which film. Which is hard, because I mean, <laughs> you know, as as critics, that's one of the things that you've got to marry up yeah. of. I liked it, but I don't know if you will. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. Absolutely. And and it's very fair that some people may not enjoy it, although I personally really enjoyed yeah. it. Again, I wasn't super thrilled about seeing another male director tell a young woman's story. Um, in terms of the, the performances by the two main actresses, I thought they did an incredible job. And I thought that and I, I don't know whether this responsibility or whether this gratitude um, is towards the director or to the actresses, but I felt that the two actresses seemed very, um, the way they interacted with each other was really interesting. It felt really unique. Um, whether or not I'd say it was realistic is kind of hard to say because, you know, I don't think all teenage girls discuss killing <laughs> No, someone. yeah, but, yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're in a very different world. Exactly, and also, the fact that these are two young women from a very unique um, ecu- uh, socioeconomic class. They're from very, you know, sort of upper class worlds. Um, but I, I do credit the actresses and I, and I want to give the gratitude to them for their performances because they did seem very real with each other. There was a lot of awkwardness, but there was a lot of closeness there as well. You could kind of see them leaning on each other. You could see that ebb and flow between them. And I thought that they navigated that in a really um, a really interesting and a really sort of organic way. Yeah. So I, I personally really enjoyed watching that, um, the watching their relationship and how they portrayed that because I really got a sense of this sort of ebb and flow and this sort of... Um, really interesting pattern between the two of them and watching them lean on each other and sort of seeing one particular character sort of go through this spiral um i thought they they together gave a really natural performance uh, interacting with each other watching 
two women re, uh, interact in this way where one of them has no problems bullshitting. One of them has no problems tamping down what's bothering her, putting on this veneer, mm-hmm. um, standing up a little straighter, dressing a little bit more proper, and the other one thinks nuts to that. Mm-hmm. And for starters, nuts to that, you kind of grow out of that. Mm-hmm. Most of us <laughs> grow out of that. But when we're teenagers, we, like our filter is way down. Mm-hmm. Way, way, way down. You know, to the point where we'll talk to our grown-ups the, in, a, in a terrible way. We'll talk to our friends in a terrible way. And watching that was just, you know, it, it was better than cable, really. You know? <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't get, I certainly don't get to see that. Um, so like, I want to talk about each of them. Um, Amanda is the one who's kind of got the the showier bit because mm-hmm. she's the one who's got the outward demons. She's mm-hmm. the one who we find, you know, the first time we see her, she's got a horse and a knife. Mm-hmm. I mean, what weirder kind of introduction to a to, to a character do you need? Yeah. Um, I, of course, like most people had seen Olivia Cook as me and Earl and the dying girl. Mm-hmm. I didn't see this in her mm-hmm. in that movie. Um, she is really, Really kind of freaky, yeah. In, in she... this, in this one, both in her honesty and just in how she's got this uh, personality disorder that she's clearly working through. Mm-hmm. Oh. I thought she just did an incredible job, and as you said, watching her in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl is very different from watching her in Thoroughbreds. And just sort of a funny aside, there was a, a group of about four young women behind me in the theater, and throughout most of the film I could hear them whispering amongst themselves I have such a crush on her (laughs) so you know I think that she's sort of enthralling I think that she she's really enthralling and I mean from 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 a performance perspective I thought she did an excellent job she she just seemed very natural the entire time but you are right she does it she has a bit more of a showier bit as you said um whereas um, Lily's character there's a lot more as you said there's a, there's a veneer there and there's there's sort of a self-imposed kind of veneer there I would say um, self-imposed or potentially you know imposed by the society in which she lives um, I think a bit of both I think there's a lot of interplay there um, but I just I say kudos to Olivia Cook for that role I thought she did an excellent job um, the, bit, the bit that got me with her is yeah. there's a scene where like after she meets um after she meets amanda mm-hmm. or sorry uh, yeah after, sorry after, after she meets lily mm-hmm. i think especially the first time the next the, one of the next time we see her on her own she's like just getting out of the shower mm-hmm. and you could see her in the mirror and she kind of flips her hair yeah. and she raises her neck just a little bit longer mm-hmm. and you're like and you could see she's emulating her friend and emulating that persona, uh, yeah, and it's like, yeah, I can do this, yeah. I'm like, and I'm like, okay, this is really nuts because mm-hmm. one, you just turned that on real fast, yeah. Two, you gleaned that mm-hmm. like really, really quickly. It's it's like you know she saw a dress and she slipped it on, yeah, right, it, and it was in just. Just in a throwaway little moment, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. to me was just incredibly special. In this yeah, absolutely, and that that scene that scene stuck out for me as well because I do think that was one of the the moments in the film, particularly for um, Amanda's character, that seemed very um, very real. That seemed very, as you said, is this how you know young women communicate with each other? That moment, I think. Um, was really interesting, you know, sort of observing someone else. Um, and we really don't get much more 
insight as to the way in which she's observing her. Is she observing her in a sense of admiration? Is she observing her in a sense of does she sort love of her? mockery? Is she attracted to her? You know, we really don't know at that point. Right. But just the act of that and watching her sort of imbibe that essence of Lily and sort of trying to emulate that, it's very interesting, especially after we've had the conversation. Um, I, th- I think it is after the conversation, correct me if I'm wrong, where she sort of takes Lily to task for holding so much in. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought that was really, really interesting. And it's also sort of um, a funny moment because we see when she initially goes in the house, the housekeeper says, stay here, and she does anything but. She sort yeah. of starts meandering yeah, yeah. <laughs> through Touching the, house, the sword. Touching the sword. Looking at the money. Absolutely. And there's that scene where she comes up to the fireplace and she sees the photo of young Lily smiling on the horse. And she sort of does the same thing. She looks at it and she starts to kind of smile the way that she does in the photo. But it seems almost from like... A deri- it, it seems almost derivative. It seems almost mocking. Well, but- she's mimicking, and again, yeah. she she sees the dress and she puts it on, mm-hmm. right? It's. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's one of the unnerving things. Anytime we see somebody emulate somebody else, like I mean, the weird thing is we all do it, yeah, absolutely. right. Like when, especially when we're young, we mm-hmm. dress like our friends, we speak like our friends, we're into what they're into, mm-hmm. but we don't want to at least on paper or you know like it to ourselves mm-hmm. we don't want to be them mm-hmm. so when somebody gets a little too close to drifting over that line into yeah. you know I, i'm not just friends with jolie i want to be jolie yeah. i want to wear my hair like she does and i want that color lipstick mm-hmm. it's like wait what i feel like you'd be able to pull that off really well just you know <laughs> i don't have the cheekbones you know I, I, but uh, but yeah i thought that was really interesting because when we initially saw her doing that with that painting um it seemed almost derivative but then when you see her alone after she has that shower and she's just sort of by herself in her washroom and she's doing it it doesn't have the same or to me it didn't carry the same um oh i had tone. the opposite kind of felt a little shiver when she mm-hmm. looked at the the photo and, mm-hmm. and mimicked it but when she was like actively practicing Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. i think that that's one of the you know places i'm not supposed to be Mm -hmm. that's one of those moments where you're kind of at your most it's a very vulnerable absolutely it's a very private moment as you said this is a room i shouldn't necessarily be in it's a very private moment and i think again it's that feeling of you're coming too close to someone or someone's coming a little too close to you yeah um i thought i when i say the mentality i just think that she sort of did it in a different way there was the way that she did it with the portrait and the way she did it alone in the washroom i I had a different, I felt that it came across differently in both, um, in both scenes. So I just thought that was really interesting how she did that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, at the same time, then we've got Amanda on the other side who mm-hmm. is like more deeply hiding who she is. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what, these are both damaged people. Mm-hmm. One of them just basically seems to own it, mm-hmm. um, which <laughs> make what you will of that. <laughs> the other, you know, we learn that she got kicked out of school. Mm-hmm. We learn that... You know, like she's got her own issues. Mm-hmm. She seems like she seems like she's got it all put together. She, yeah. you know, she's a she's a very pretty girl. She's the kind of girl who's going to have like no trouble getting interviews, mm-hmm. getting job applications, getting a date. Mm-hmm. Um, she her clothes are a little bit better, mm-hmm. but inside she's just threadbare. Mm-hmm. For you know, she's already lost her father. Her yeah. mother has married somebody who she does not like who mm-hmm. drives her nuts mm-hmm. uh, who's who's a dick basically yeah. <laughs> um you know i'm not i'm not going to hang all of this on her mm-hmm. um and watching anna taylor joy play that character mm-hmm. i thought was really 
incredible. Yeah, it, it was riveting. And I guess with her, kind of as you said, with Olivia Cook, that you felt, you know, you didn't quite see this character, you didn't initially see this character coming out of her, and, and yet she just absolutely nailed it. With, um, with Anya Taylor-Joy, I think we've seen her, I don't want to say in similar roles, but we've seen her play roles that are very mature and carry a lot of gravity, and so I was really interested to see how she would play this role, and I think she did an excellent job of it, and as you said, there's just... It, it's just she's so tightly wound everything about her life as it appears again on the outside or on paper she has everything together yeah. you know she's obviously doing well in school because she's sort of pegged as a tutor <laughs> she you know is apparently at a boarding school this like excellent private school she's you know she has an internship at a lucrative company you know it's she has all these things together and even down to the way she speaks the way um visually how she presents herself her hair is so tightly pinned down her clothes are very con- i don't want to say constrictive but they are they're, cons- in a way. they're they're classy if there was a teenage betty draper mm-hmm. in 2018 mm-hmm. this is how teenage betty draper would have dressed yeah and it, well even just the clothes that she she wears are very mature they're yeah. a little they're a little more um they're certainly more conservative but they're even just more constrictive in terms of the material that she wears as opposed to what um we see amanda wearing you know amanda's very sort of you know, she's very much herself and she's very sort of unapologetic and she's very, as you said, external. She externalizes mm-hmm. herself uh, and she's very vocal. Um, with Lily, there's just so much there that's so tightly wound. Um, there's this very um, solid veneer and, and this facade that you soon learn she's very actively cultivating. She's very actively maintaining. And, you know, it's almost as if when she meets Amanda, it's almost that sort of... Um, catalyst that she it's needs the push yeah right like she she doesn't take a lot of a lot a lot of convincing mm-hmm. to even conceive of killing her stepfather mm-hmm. and that's not something that happens with somebody who's got it all together mm-hmm. like this is this is someone who's really trying really hard and actually making it look kind of effortless mm-hmm. like the way she walks and the way she talks and everything like that mm-hmm. it just looks like that's how she was raised mm-hmm. where meanwhile what we learn, like both in the performance and how it's written, um, is no, no, no. This is something that is that has taken a lot of work. Mm-hmm. That you just pull. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like a display of soup cans mm-hmm. at the grocery store. You pull that one can, <laughs> and it's all going to come down, down comes, right? It yeah. looks pretty and it looks symmetrical and mm-hmm. it looks organized, mm-hmm. but it's got one little weak spot that can just undo it all. Mm-hmm. And that weak spot happens to be, you know, happens to be Lily, or I sorry, happens to be Amanda. Mm-hmm. It, it seems strange to me to pity rich people, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like the world as it is right now, you kind of feel like rich white people have really done a lot to damage the world. Yeah, of it's like, do they like, you know, is, are these characters, are they really worthy of our sympathy or, and our empathy for sure? Okay. Good question. Are they? There were some questions that I was, I was thinking about and sort of mulling over and I did kind of read a little bit to see what kind of the commentary was about uh, how class was handled in thoroughbreds. And I found it really interesting, specifically with Anton Yelkin's character thrown yeah. in the mix. Um, you know, I think that I, I approach most films with empathy for the characters, but certainly are they are they worthy of it? I mean, I would say so. I brought empathy with me into the theater and, and, I, and I left with empathy, but... Um, certainly that final scene I felt oh wow you know that was uh, that was quite um 
I don't know. It felt like a slap, that last scene. Yeah. It was very interesting. Yeah. And I think the cha- the characters sort of get flipped on their heads as to who you kind of, who you really feel for. I think that, again, sort of follows along the sort of ebb and flow between the two main characters. The I guess the sense of empathy that you have also kind of follows that trajectory as well. I mean, Mark spells this out for us, right? Like when when, right around the time we are feeling the most amount of sympathy and empathy for Amanda. Mm-hmm. Mark is the one who comes along and says, I'm not a parent to you. I'm mm-hmm. a chauffeur. I'm a bank account. I'm a maid. Mm-hmm. I'm a, you know, I'm a boarding house. Mm-hmm. I'm not a person. Mm-hmm. And you're like, shit, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you're like, yeah, you are going through a lot right mm-hmm. now, but at the same time, you still have all these comforts. It's, mm-hmm. it's a really tough place to put an audience in yeah, to make absolutely. them really, you know, who are, I'm going to bet, mostly working class people feel mm-hmm. for somebody of such privilege. Yeah. And I think, like, that's one of the challenges that the movie and somebody who watches it has to overcome is how much do you care about a rich brat? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's I found that scene really interesting because up until the point, I guess, when they initially um, talk about, you know, murdering Mark... I, I could understand, I guess, from a theoretical sense, why she wouldn't like Mark, but I didn't feel that we had enough there to to really, truly emotionally or viscerally understand why she hated Mark so much. And I didn't get it until we see that scene that Lily witnesses between him and her mom and the way that he speaks to her mom. It was that kind of, that taken in turn with all the things you see when the mom's in the tanning bed she said oh mark likes me with a little more color like there's just there's all these little things that sort of ladder up to the to to how we understand his character to be and how he interacts with her and her mom um so i thought that was interesting i feel like there's a lot of sort of um delay here in this film i felt like there was a lot of kind of like holding 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 bam you know yeah. and i i thought that was done really i thought it was done well um and i really felt that with mark and then similarly as you said with lily too we're sort of holding 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 we have a lot of empathy for her and then you have that moment that's kind of bam it sort of shakes you a little bit out of the trajectory you've been going on and i interestingly enough when he did have that talk with lily i didn't necessarily see that i mean we can assume again theoretically that you know, she comes from a place of privilege, of course. But we never really saw her completely interacting with anyone in in a really negative way. But then you start to kind of think back to all these things that ladder up to that talk with Mark. You know, how uh, I think in the initial scene that she has with Amanda, Amanda is eating those chips yeah. and she goes to roll it up and she's like, oh, leave it. Yeah. And then immediately after, the housekeeper comes and takes it away. Yeah. So it's the I, only time we, I think it's like the only other time we ever see the housekeeper. Oh, absolutely. It's a very we small cast. Like yeah. we, we see like next to nobody else. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's, it's such an interesting, I think, um, Play, and I don't know how I would how I would you know phrase that, but there's just a really interesting sense of delay throughout this movie. So I thought they did that really well. But as you said, whether the characters deserve our empathy, it's not as easy a question as you think it would be going into it or starting it. It's I mean, and that's that's the challenge. That, that's that's the challenge that we all face, yeah. right? Is is just looking at these people and looking at everything they have, mm-hmm. but asking ourselves the cost. It's it's both with. Um, both with Lily and her mom, mm-hmm. it's the whole idea of the mercenary bargain mm-hmm. of, you know, okay, I'm going to give you a lot of money, but you got to hang out with this really messed up girl. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, listen, 
I'm going to give you every single comfort you can think of in financial security, but you got to sleep next to me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's on paper. It's like, yeah, I'd make that deal. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, that's a shitty deal. And, and we see it in the world. It's like, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of luxuries and a lot of comfort and a lot of opportunities, Mm -hmm. but you still have to make a bargain Mm -hmm. that you, that you may lose something of yourself. Oh, absolutely. Um, It's it's crazy. Like we could be talking about this movie for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's the thing is I think it's kind of why I want people to watch this movie. There's Mm -hmm. on the paper. It's just two girls try to kill their stepdad. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there's a lot that's really baked in and it's patient. Mm -hmm. It, 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 Let's things play like the camera just kind of lingers yes. on yeah. both of these women's faces. They have really expressive faces. Both mm-hmm. of them have like, you know, huge eyes and yes. really, really like just put a lot of expression. Mm-hmm. We were talking the one of them, of course, can seem to mimic yeah. at will. <laughs> um, but the, where I kind of want to come down to is the the idea of a mercy kill mm-hmm. because we have you know, one character who seems to say, give me the gun, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Right. It starts to her. It starts with her killing her horse. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that sounds terrible. Mm-hmm. That sounds at, like that. That's how we're introduced. And it's shocking. And it's like, Oh, you're messed up, mm-hmm. you know? But meanwhile, she goes on to explain later mm-hmm. why yeah. and how and everything like that. And I think again, that whole idea of empathy it's a movie that really asks us, one, would we have the guts mm-hmm. to do the mercy kill? And two, how should we judge that? Yeah. Like, did you come away with anything like oh, that? Oh, absolutely. I think that was a really big question in the film. And I thought um, the final scene uh, when we're listening to um, Amanda's letter to Lily, I thought that was it, I thought that was really beautiful. But um, it, it definitely speaks a lot to the rationale that... Amanda had again with the initial you know murdering of the horse and it's funny because my initial reaction when she was saying that to um to Lily when she was explaining her thought process behind that I kept thinking in the back of my mind and maybe I just watched too many (laughs) too many horror films but (laughs) I just kept thinking like is that really what she was thinking or she just saying that because she knows that is what everyone wants to hear and I mean like it's kind of like that's the beauty is we don't know you know here's here's somebody who can mimic somebody else is Mm -hmm. she mimicking what that somebody else wants to hear exactly like has she crafted her story has she thought about it and thought about it and said if i explain it this way yeah this is how i'll be able to get people to look past the terrible thing i've done absolutely is this how i vindicate myself in other people's eyes and we we hear her outright we hear both of them outright sort of ask that question i think when um i think uh amanda blatantly asks at one point like well what do you want me to say or you know and then lily says i don't I don't want you to say anything. I just want you to tell me what you think. And I really like that interaction between the characters because that's that conversation specifically is when you sort of see Lily start to falter. I mm-hmm. think that's when she starts to kind of, I think all the tight wrappings she has around herself start to kind of get peeled away. Um, but yeah, that was, that was my initial reaction when she kind of gave that explanation. But certainly I think that, as you said, it, it, it brings up a lot of questions, um, about the mercy killing like how do we approach that like who do we have empathy for in that sense and you know it's it's a tough question it i think that it also comes up um or that question is sort of mirrored um and i don't want to give too much away yeah do we well, do, no but like... i mean that's that's the thing is without without giving much away yeah that's the question that this movie's going to leave you with is is lily the sort of person who is capable of a mercy killing mm-hmm. 
or does she actually get something from it mm-hmm. and that's how she that's how she rationalizes it yeah you know because that's two different things if yeah. you're the kind of person who can say you can't do it give it to me i'll do it mm-hmm. okay that, that that takes a certain type of demeanor mm-hmm. or yeah i can do that right that's which is a very different way and that's that's the question that we're left with with yeah. lily at the beginning and the end yeah and even like you said like the way that she explains it and her letter mm-hmm. is which one of these you know watching amanda's like recount the mm-hmm. letter hearing the letter back in lily's voice you're not sure which one which one of these two damaged people is most damaged mm-hmm. You know, even though that they end up in two completely different places. Yeah, absolutely. There was a really interesting scene, I think, um, for me that kind of stems back to this. And again, I don't want to give too much away, but the question of a a meaningful life or meaningless life, more accurately. Um, And I think that also plays a part in this idea of a mercy killing. You know, who gets to make those decisions? Do we make those decisions for ourselves? Do we make them for other people? that I thought was such an interesting kind of, um, it wasn't a bookend per se, but it was a really interesting sort of flip to that question. Mm-hmm. So I I thought that was really, really interesting question. And specifically Amanda's response to that, um, that was very, to me, that was uh, that was an exciting moment in the yeah. film. It's, like, it's funny because, you know, if, if we did a spoiler section, there there is so much in the last act of this movie I know. that I really want to <laughs> dig into because there were some just some really touching things, some yes. really terrible things, mm-hmm. um, some amazing filmmaking going on. I, I guess, you know, what we're trying to say is we both think you should see this yes. movie, even though you're probably not going to enjoy the experience of it. Um, just, you know, give it a go. I mean, like, men cannot live on Marvel alone, yes. is what we're trying to say. <laughs> exactly. We do end our... Uh, uh, we end our reviews here on the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away and keep, you would. Jolie Featherstone, what's your souvenir from? Uh, there's a lot of pretty things in this movie. I know there really is. Um, like, oh, that house! I felt like the house was a character in and of itself. It is really. It really is. It's such an it's such an interesting house. It is a beautiful house, but it's interesting too. It's very cold in some cases, and it's very um, claustrophobic. Uh, at times, even though it's such this grand, it's a grand opulent house, yet it feels it's very claustrophobic. quiet. I gotta be mm-hmm. honest, if I was in that house, I would constantly have trouble being comfortable because I mm-hmm. feel like I wouldn't be able to hear somebody coming. Mm-hmm. Mark actually sneaks up on them. Yes. Right? Yeah. And it's like, you just walk down a hall. I should be able to hear you. Yeah. And same thing, like, you know, uh, Lily walks down a hall at one point and you're like, how are you not making sound? Yeah. Um, which of course that's the, probably the way this, the, the house was designed mm-hmm. um, kind of similar to that um, I actually I like that chess set that she's playing mm, with there's yes. this huge like stone, stone like two or three yeah. feet high <laughs> chess set um, I don't really play chess but I would like to like get together with somebody like Andrew Robinson and have him just beat my ass on, on a chess set that's like, <laughs> like two and a half feet high and it's made of stone too. it's made of stone like, but she still awesome. has no trouble moving yeah, them yeah I noticed that as well I thought that was so interesting and She's having such um, what, you know, to, I think to most people, I guess, would be a very difficult conversation to have. And here she is lifting up stone chess pieces, no problem, talking Playing about, against herself. Playing against herself. Talking like, I mean, about, there's, you know, there's a nice little metaphor there. <laughs> exactly. Um, and talking about her rationale for killing a horse, yeah. you know. And she, moves the, and she moves the knight first, too. Yeah. So, like, the horse, the stone horse is right in our vision. Yeah, it, that was oh, a really man. interesting scene. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess my souvenir would be... The house and I and I, it's not even from a comforting sense. I just think the house is such an interesting 
piece in that film. I think it's a character in and of itself, specifically, and this might this isn't localized to the house, but throughout the entire film, the audio in this mm-hmm. film was actually one of my favorite parts about it. I thought the scenes um, when Lily is just sort of, tra- you feel like she's traveling through this labyrinth of a house and just the, 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 the score is, it's exciting. It's, I, the word I keep coming back to, and I know I sound like a broken record, is electrifying. You feel kind of jolted. Mm-hmm. Again, there's this sense of, as you said, patience or a sense of delay, and then you kind of just kind of get shaken a little bit. And um, I, I really like that. The house, how that was done. And again, it's this grand, opulent house, yet it feels so claustrophobic. Yeah. It it's, so like, it's funny. It's not my kind of house at all. No, it's, um, it's a house that, again, as we're talking about veneers, like on the outside, it looks absolutely stunning and beautiful. And you have that scene where the two young women walk so comfortably up the stairs and Anton Yelkin's character is just so standing there, so daunted to go inside. Yeah. Um, that, I thought, was a really interesting yeah. Uh, note but um, yeah it's just a gorgeous house and then you get inside and you realize there's a lot of there's a lot of pain there or there's a lot of there's something about that house that there's it's a troubled place you know and you don't necessarily get that stress is just dripping from the walls exactly yes we rate here on the matinee (laughs) cast on a scale of one to four stars Jolie Featherstone what do you give Corey Finley's Thoroughbreds I'm gonna have to go with a I'm gonna go with a three out of four very nice I'm I'm actually very much the same I I've dialed up to the film. Like, I think there was a moment when I first walked out of the film, I'm like, I don't think I like that. Really? Um, yeah, and I've climbed up. And that's the thing. It stayed with me mm-hmm. um, over the last week, so I really respect that in a film that can leave me uncomfortable and, and, and leave me enjoying it. Um, there are lots of other things I would see. I'd certainly love to see this woman. I'd love to see this film written by a woman, directed mm-hmm. by a woman. I think yeah. there would have been different things in it. Um, and I think it could have... There's some things I've seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, as I said, I can totally see people not enjoying this movie. Mm, so I got I got to stop at about a three, but I think yeah. it's a really solid movie. Um, hey, maybe you think we're wrong. Maybe you think this is an absolutely horrible movie and a waste of time. <laughs> maybe you loved it. Maybe you think this is the best movie you've seen this young year and we're not being uh, kind enough on it. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, or on matinee underscore CA or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. What do you think of Corey Finley's thoroughbreds we are going to be back after this we're going to take a quick break and flip the record over to play the other side She's Jolie Featherstone. I'm Ryan McNeil. You're listening to Matinee Cast 195. We've been talking about Thoroughbreds, a film that's got a lot to chew on, um, simple a story as it seems. And of course, it brings up other movies. We've already talked about some. Um, but uh, what was, get us going here, what was one of the movies you thought about? You just, you, I've, I've had more time to sit with this movie. You were just watching it last night. Um, what, did you, what were some of the movies that you thought of coming away from Thoroughbreds that you think would make good companions? I think there, the, the initial reaction that I had um, was there was sort of like a Hitchcockian feel to the film at times, mm. Spe- specifically in the scenes inside the house. I felt there was a really 
um, there's definitely a Hitchcockian feel for me. So one that I came away thinking of, uh, well, I guess two particularly from Hitchcock, one was Rope oh, yeah. and one was Strangers on a Train. Both of those I Ooh. feel like would be interesting taken along with this film. But the only thing that sort of differentiate, or not the only thing, but one of the things I think that strongly differentiates Rope or Strangers on a Train from Thoroughbreds is Thoroughbreds is actually really funny. It's really funny in a dark, sort of <laughs> uncomfortable way. And I mean, I found myself actually laughing out loud during Thoroughbreds because there was some, some of the scenes were just, there's just a dark sort of humor to it and there's a lot of uncomfortable humor um i think there's a lot of times when you laugh and you kind of feel like am i a bad person am i am i just like you know amanda or lily you know for finding this funny or you know finding a moment of humor in this um i thought there was a lot of humor in it and i think that you know rope and strangers on a train are a bit different in that sense um well it's funny because i think actually hitchcock did that well hitchcock mm -hmm. really did a great job of including those moments of pitch black humor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, not not laughing at somebody dying, but no. like but just like laughing at like the awkwardness of a situation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes though, like you know, um, I, I think about a film like Psycho, for instance, mm -hmm. and there's a whole bunch of oddity at the beginning when you're watching Marion and her coworker mm -hmm. going back and forth mm -hmm. of, you know, well, my mother called me to see if Teddy called, and Teddy called. <laughs> like that kind of thing. Like he was always, he knew that when you're looking at something so grim that mm -hmm. you can't keep it that mm -hmm. grim um yeah. it's been a while since i've like i mean even rope rope sometimes turns into like almost like a screwball comedy mm -hmm. of trying to keep the body hidden right yeah that and that's that's fair too and you know what to be fair it's been a long time since i've watched them both so maybe this is uh this is a wake-up call that i need to revisit them mm. but um no that's totally fair and you're you're right i think i don't know there was just something about the humor in thoroughbreds that felt really different to me um from those two particular hitchcock films but i definitely need to revisit them because it's been a while but there was just something about the humor for example the scene for me um when i initially you know, I think one of the first scenes that I laughed out loud was when um, Amanda is showing Lily the technique and she, yeah. you know, they're doing it. And it was just this really interesting moment. Do and, girls do that? You know, I don't know if I've ever sat down with a friend and said, want me to show you how? Um, I don't know if I've ever done that, <laughs> but I certainly would. I can assure you guys do not. <laughs> you know what? I, but I, now I, guys are going to be like, wait, that? Really? Wait, what? <laughs> I've, I think I've certainly had conversations with my friends that would rival the sort of dark humor and awkwardness of Lily and Amanda's conversations. That's why I think it felt, I really give kudos to those two, um, to those two for taking this really interesting movie that can be very dark and it can also be very funny and siphoning it down into this really interesting power play um, between these two characters. And it's not a power play against each other. It's yeah. almost like they kind of get power from each other. And I thought that was really interesting. And I felt the conversations, again, with that, that conversation about the quote unquote technique, that I thought was very real. I thought that was really You know, really people are going to be wondering what the heck we're talking about now, right? <laughs> I know. I, and I'm, I'm going to leave it. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spell that out. I'm just going to leave it as they talk about the technique. We'll um, leave the question yes, mark there. The other, the other cool thing about uh, both of those movies in relation to Thoroughbreds is that both of those movies um, kind of, again, typical of a Hitchcock movie mm -hmm. are less about 
the violence mm-hmm. and more about how does one do this violence yes. and what does one have to do after Absolutely. this violence. Like, I, you know, rope, of course, is it starts with the kill mm-hmm. and then it's let's see what kind of sick pleasure we can get out of hiding the mm-hmm. kill. Strangers on a train hey, you kill mine, I kill yours, mm-hmm. nobody will suspect, neither one of us knows the other person. Yeah. Let's just do that, and then you've got that whole runoff after of, Absolutely. oh, well, you've really got nothing, no stake in this, so you can hold it against me. Mm-hmm. Um, no, those are, those would be like, great. And, and that's what we get in yeah. this movie, right? It's, it's, it's hey, there's kill him. Of, no, we can't kill him. Well, I can kill him. <laughs> you, you know, like, yeah, and there's a lot of, um, again, it's all about the, with these three films, uh, the question of like the methodology and the morality behind it. I think um, Amanda's character is such an interesting filter to have that conversation with because, mm-hmm. you know, here is someone who, you know, vocalizes that she does not feel emotions. And every time they run into like a question that could be about the method, but really there's sort of like an underlying moral decision there. She kind of just bulldozes right through it and cuts down to the logic or the rationality behind it. And she's just such an interesting filter to have that conversation with. Um, So I think going into this film, what I was afraid of was that it would be to Riverdale. I thought it would be <laughs> two pretty little liars, to Riverdale, to something like that. I'm way behind on Riverdale, but, actually, but thank you for You know what? Me. I've actually, um, maybe this is bad to admit, but I've only seen a few episodes of the first season. Okay. I don't follow the show, but I, I've seen enough episodes to kind of get the tone of it. Right. And I was sort of afraid going into their beds. I initially, when I heard about the film, I was so excited. And then I thought, hold on. Oh, Remember when you like were excited this? for Riverdale? Right. And then you watched that? Okay, oh, okay. no go. So I was a little bit worried. Is it going to be like that? And I, of course, was very, um, very pleasantly, it was very pleasantly confirmed early that it was not going to be in a similar thing. <laughs> um, so I want anyone who's listening who has that same fear to know it is not like that. But yeah. I'm actually thinking I've got a whole season of Riverdale on my PBR <laughs> that i got to go upstairs and watch when we're done here. There you go, um, right? But, one of the movies yeah. I thought about after this one, and it's it was again a movie where I thought to myself, I really need to go back and revisit that, uh, is I thought about one of the first Peter Jackson movies, Heavenly Creatures. I've never seen that, with, and I've always oh, wanted to watch I, it. I, I envy you so much. It's <laughs> it's so it's such a crazy movie. So Melanie uh, Lasinski and mm. Kate Winslet, oh, um, they are like teenage friends who come up with little worlds in their head kind of like these girls do but you know like these girls come up with worlds of taste and class Mm -hmm. and culture Mm -hmm. whereas the girls in Heavenly Creatures come up with these like fantasy worlds they come Mm -hmm. up with like little almost like D&D type Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings type worlds but then get drawn into a violent plan and that one is a whole different class Mm -hmm. so you have a little bit more of a chance to latch on you know mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot more working class you know you and i are kind of both working class mm-hmm. uh descendants so you know we're kind of like keep to our own a little <laughs> yeah. bit more we certainly didn't grow up in a house like I, i'm assuming you didn't grow i up in a house did like not that. grow up in a house no. like the one in thoroughbreds yeah, that's for no. sure uh, yeah exactly <laughs> I, I never i was never more than two rooms over from the next person <laughs> in my house um i heard everybody moving oh yeah um and that's and heavenly creatures is a lot more like that it's a lot more of not hanging out in this room and hang out in this room and hang out in this room it's they hang out in this one space mm. because it's kind of like all that they have mm. and all that these two have are each other and we didn't get quite as much in thoroughbreds of 
their friendship splintering. Like they were very mm-hmm. much a unit. There, there, there's one moment of tension mm-hmm. where one of them's like, "I think you should go," mm-hmm. um, but generally speaking, they're a unit the whole way. I really do like seeing in a movie where the where two girls are friends, mm-hmm. seeing the fracture mm-hmm. take place because mm-hmm. it's it's always really personal, really mm-hmm. dramatic. It's the kind of thing you know, like guys don't go through it nearly as much. But it's it's that same sort of thing where it's almost it's, it's like a breakup, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and I, I feel like that's really powerful on film. You see it in Heavenly Creatures, and you certainly see it in Thoroughbreds. Mm. Oh, I've never seen Heavenly Creatures, so, and that's one I've actually been meaning to watch for a very long time. But um, I was actually, I'm actually sometimes weary of seeing um, the I guess like the tension or or you know the tension in a friend in a female friendship portrayed by a male director because sometimes yeah. it feel it can be. It, it can come from a place, and again, and, and not, I'm sure it's never intended that way, but sometimes it comes from a place that's very not, um, I guess, realistic or usually, typically realistic. Sometimes it does. And I think that in this case, um, I that kind of question came up to me at the final during the final scene um, when we, we see Lily and Anton Yelkin's character kind of reunite um and i and then you realize what's kind of transpired since the last scene and for me i was kind of interested i thought hmm i don't know how i feel about this ending but then you hear um you hear amanda's letter being read out and i thought that was really interesting i thought that was really unique so i I actually did Mm -hmm. like that but certainly it's something that comes to mind whenever um you have uh, friendships between young women being portrayed on screen, you always want it to come from, uh, I guess, like an informed place. And sometimes I feel in a lot of mainstream films, it, it doesn't always come from yeah. a well-meaning or an informed place. But in this case, I, I, I think the director did a good job. And I think that um, it was it was an interesting relationship. And as you said, they're sort of a unit the whole way through because I felt that final scene, I was like, oh, I was like, jarred a little bit. I was like, what? <laughs> but it's interesting. You're right. They they do sort of kind of stay, they sort of stay connected throughout the film. Yeah. So it is interesting. I mean, like the good thing with Heavenly Creatures, at least, is that it was co-written with Fran Walsh. Mm-hmm. So my hope is that she might have filled in some of those blanks mm-hmm. for Peter Jackson and say like, no, a girl would never say to her girlfriend this. She mm-hmm. would say this or mm-hmm. she would act this way or she would want this. Yeah. Um, I'm completely guessing because I wasn't there. Um, <laughs> but what was it? Was another? Was there another movie that came to mind after after Thoroughbreds that you think uh, would make great? Yeah, movie? for sure. And and definitely, I want to say like at the end of the day, all characters, you know, regardless of gender, it's it's such a unique thing and it's a personal thing. So as long as the friendships are handled like with care and I think with precision that's that's the most important thing and I think that their relationship was handled this way in the film but another film that sort of came to mind that had that sort of bleak humor was um Heathers actually Mm. that came to mind for me as well and Heathers I think obviously the tone is quite different but I really enjoyed that bleak humor in Heathers and I really enjoyed it here in Thoroughbreds very very different but there was still that element of this sort of upper class, the age group, you know, there's a bit more of a, of a difference here because there's almost like a bit of a power struggle, but still that whole commentary I thought was really interesting. So I, 
I would definitely, I could see those two going hand in hand on a really good double feature. <laughs> Heather's was one of the ones that I marked down. Heather's is one of the ones that's come up. They, mm-hmm. They've compared, um, I mean, like one of the taglines out there for Thoroughbreds is they're comparing it as Heather's meets American Psycho. Mm-hmm. Um, and Interesting. Yeah, Interesting combination. Yeah. Heather's is a movie, I'm always wary of, I'm like, I'm a child of the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I'm always wary of a lot of the 80s movies because I think a lot of them are getting very dated very quickly. Mm. And the voices that are most vocal now grew up on them and aren't realizing a lot of the shortcomings Oh, they have. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Heather's, I think, so far is navigating that just fine. It's aging reasonably well. There's not a whole lot of moments of blatant misogyny or blatant <laughs> rape culture or mm-hmm. anything like that, I think. Uh, I think I'm also thinking I'm due for a rewatch of Heather's. I, I likewise, I haven't seen it in a number of years, so um, I'll have to revisit. But it. trust me, like I, I had this conversation this week. A lot of those movies yeah. are, are getting thrown overboard very quickly. I, I was watching quite a few um, sort of classic '80s teen movies a few weeks ago, and I was there were certain things that I remembered being like, "Oh, wow!" You know, when I was younger, and I watched them and. It's definitely even more so. <laughs> and it's 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 crazy because as like with every passing year, we're like, okay, we know that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Oh shit, that's not okay either. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, what's he doing? What <laughs> is, you know, um, Heather's. I think like you know, Heather's of course hangs on the Heather's. It hangs mm-hmm. on the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, in this movie, Christian Slater isn't the. He's basically the trigger, mm-hmm. right? He's yeah. not actually the one steering this whole thing. He's just the one that says why not mm-hmm. um so if, if we're gonna start lobbing bombs at heathers we're gonna start lobbing it at the girls and it's funny though because this is a movie that we've now seen try to be remade and tried to have 2018 grafted on it mm-hmm. as a tv show and it's not working and, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's we don't want to watch violent teenagers mm-hmm. i mean that's we didn't get into that with thoroughbreds mm-hmm. is we're watching teenagers be violent. Mm-hmm. Heather's, it feels like we're playing it as farce. Mm-hmm. And i that's one of those things where it's like, I don't know if I want to watch that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but I do with Heather's, yeah, right? Yeah, that's an interesting question because with Thoroughbreds, as you said, like taking it at face, I felt that during Thoroughbreds, there was a lot of almost um, fable elements to oh, it. Oh, sure. There, it definitely felt like there were some elements that felt like... Well, like Wicked Stepfather, right? Yeah, you know, there were so many things there that I thought were really interesting and... Um, if only we had more time, we could totally unpack them. And only if we could give away some spoilers, yeah, <laughs> but I don't yeah. want to do that. Um, we could definitely unpack that a bit more. It's funny because we're already angling for a long show <laughs> and we're asking our listeners for more time. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. But um, what stuck, what sticks out to me as being sort of still relevant is the relationship between um, Christian Slater's character and Winona Ryder's character. Mm. I think that when I initially watched it, again, I watched it a few years ago. And I just remember thinking, okay, we're finally, at least I think, I'm seeing on screen the kind of guy that populates my film class. <laughs> you oh, know what okay, I mean? Okay. And it was it was one of those things where, you know, trying to articulate that to other people, it's like everyone kind of knows that guy. Yeah. And here we get to see him sort of roasted in Heather's. So there was an element of fun to it, but there was also kind of, there was definitely a, a social criticism there, not just on his character, also on the Heathers and sort of that that teen culture, the upper class teen culture, white upper class teen culture specifically, and also um, the one scene that 
I <laughs> I think rings so um, strongly still from Heather's is that scene I think with the guidance counselor mm-hmm. is it when she talks about teen suicide yeah, in Heather's yeah. it's again it's just a very bleak comedy that I to me the bleak comedy in Thoroughbred really reminded me of the bleak comedy in Heather's but again it's handled in a very different way one of the things I wonder about with Heather's is you know there's the the moment where the um the preacher is at the funeral for the last for the last one of the one of the girls who dies and he tries to hang meaning on her last word of Eskimo <laughs> I you know like this was back in 1988 mm-hmm. and I really wonder if we're going to start hanging meaning on our tweets yeah you know like it, this person said really dark mm-hmm. like the, the, their last tweet was really dark did it did they mean they were feeling dark or were the lights out you know what and that's and that's the thing i think we're already seeing that you know sure. um and i think that heathers can certainly be translated to this day and age but i mean there's different there's different conversations that are going on and there's different conversations certainly with that generation of you know our teenagers today are, are you know, having different conversations than the teenagers uh, that are featured in Heather's. Yeah. But I think there's a lot that can really be translated in an interesting way. And like, and by going back to the original, not by trying to remake it exactly. the way that this TV show did and failed. Mm-hmm. Um, the one other movie that I wanted to mention, now I did have Heather's marked down, but mm-hmm. one other movie that I wanted to mention, I'm not going to talk about it too, too long, because there is a matinee cast about it, mm-hmm. which I will link to in the show notes if you want to hear me speak about it at length um, a few years ago, is there's a movie called Ginger and Rosa. You ever seen this one? I saw it at TIFF, actually, the year ah, that it came out. Yes, why absolutely. did I think that you were a TIFF newbie? No, no. I've been, well, I've been volunteering for TIFF for years. Oh, okay. Um, and Funny that we didn't meet before. I know, right? And interestingly enough, it's only been the last few years that I've really... Uh, I sort of took a break from volunteering for a while just because of so many things going on in life. But um, the past few years, I've actually got to really uh, enjoy TIFF as just a film goer as opposed to volunteer and film goer and what what have you. But Ginger and Rosa was one of the first TIFF films I think that I ever saw just as a, a film goer, not as part of a volunteer role or, or anything right. like that. So it was interesting because I remember bringing, interestingly enough, I asked my best childhood friend to come see Rosa with me, uh, Ginger and Rosa with me. So that was really interesting. And she, she came downtown. She'd never been to TIFF. And we went to go see that together. So that was a really, it was a wonderful moment. And I really appreciated it, seeing it with her too. We Yeah, we spoke at length about it on uh, Matinee Cast 82, mm-hmm. 100 episodes and change ago. Wow. But... That was one, you know, we've been dancing around this all episode long. That's a film where it is written and directed by a female storyteller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of those blanks that you certainly identified, and I probably identified one or two of them, um, are there. Mm-hmm. They're, they're filled in. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 they're there in, in, the, in the speech, in the body language, mm-hmm. in everything of the way um, those girls mm-hmm. go through their friendship. Like, yeah. it's... it's on a lot of ways, it's a very simple story. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no murder like, yeah. of, of all the ones we've talked about. <laughs> there's no violence. Yes. Um, but at the same time, it's it's really dramatic. Yeah. And it's it's the kind of film that I don't think gets enough attention paid to it. Yeah. You know what? You're right. It's interesting because I remember seeing that at TIFF, and it was such an impactful film in a lot of ways. It was certainly a very emotional film, um, very very dramatic film, and yet 
I don't really hear too many people chatting about it, or at least people that I've come across that no. want to chat about it, which is interesting. And um, that was something that really drew me to it, was the fact, you know, you're following this friendship between two young women set, I believe, in the 60s, um, written and directed uh, by a woman. And that really drew me to it. It's one of those things I've, I've come back to a few times, like, you know, I'm older now, but I, I, I'm not so old that I can't remember what it was like to be a teenager. And, you know, part like I think maybe that's what Call Me By Your Name reminded me of, mm-hmm. is that when we're of our teenage years, we, we constantly burn at 11. Mm-hmm. You know, we feel everything. Like, our nerve endings are just so raw, mm-hmm. and everything is so dramatic, and we're experiencing so many things for the first time mm-hmm. that, you know, we always kind of want to, in terms of the stories we tell, we want to hang that on love, mm-hmm. but we forget that we can hang that on our friendships too mm-hmm. um and again like our friendships can sometimes seem like breakups our mm-hmm. friendships can seem like family yeah um i you know i don't know that maybe you and your friend had a long talk after that <laughs> i don't know maybe like you remembered oh shit she did that or oh shit well, we never did that mm-hmm. or anything like that but um it, it's it's a movie it's a smaller movie mm-hmm. that illustrates these things that don't normally get illustrated yeah absolutely and i think interestingly enough talking about you know tran uh translating heathers the film into like a film today or set within the scope of today I think Ginger and Rose is interesting as well because I believe it's set during the 60s yeah. when um, you know people I mean politically everything's operating at 11 you know there's so much conversation going on and oh the world was and, so charged like yes, yeah I see absolutely. what you're saying like yeah. forget about the fact that the teenagers exactly. were so charged so was the world exactly right okay yeah, from a political sen- uh, standpoint um, and you really see how that is uh, affecting ginger you see that so much and um it's interesting because i feel that that could again that you could take that story and sort of translate it today you know with what's going on politically within the united states i think that you could definitely see i think it would be interesting now to see a film kind of with the same mentality following to uh the friendship between two young people during today's climate i think that would be really interesting so it, it, and I'm happy that you brought that film up too because it's a film that I haven't really got a chance to chat with anyone about at length. So oh, well, thank you. <laughs> you'll, you'll see you'll see a you'll see a link in the show exactly. notes so you can I'm hear me talk about it with somebody it. else and see see what I thought of it when it was a little bit fresher in my mind. <laughs> um, listen, there are a lot of movies that you could watch after this movie that really echo it very nicely, and I think again that's a sign of a good movie. Um, and uh, we are as always happy to steer you towards them. But that is all the time we have for episode 195 of the Matt I want to thank Jolie for coming by. Come on back on Monday, March 26th for episode 196. We'll be discussing Isle of Dogs, the new Wes Anderson movie. Ooh, nice. Fun fact, the previous Wes Anderson animated movie, Fantastic Mr. Fox, that was the very first matinee cast. Really? Yep. We oh, talk, we talked about two this. movies on episode one. We talked about that and an education. We okay. had you know, we had no idea what we were doing. We were like, we're gonna talk about two movies. Let's do that. Everything's coming full yeah. circle. And no, that episode is long gone. Don't go looking for it. <laughs> it is buried very deep. Um, and if you want to find, are you still writing anywhere these days? Not so much. So uh, that is a project of mine coming in April. I'm actually going to be traveling for a little bit, and when I come back, I'm going to start be on writing. More focused okay. on my writing. Uh, but for now, if people want to follow you, like on Twitter, where can they find you? Yep, they can follow me on Twitter at to film files. Very nice. And if you uh, are at uh, the Lightbox this week coming, and you're going to see a fantastic woman, look for Jolie and I sitting there exactly. drinking tea and watching. 
and probably <laughs> crying. Um, my site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Pocket Cast, Google Play, you're welcome, Paulo, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, or Apple's podcasting app. Everything gives you ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Thoroughbreds can be left in the comment section of the site or, of course, any of the other movies that we mentioned today. Uh, you can email ryan at thematinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Final thoughts, Miss Featherstone. You know what? Thanks so much for having me, and I'm glad that we got a chance to chat about Thoroughbreds. It was, I think, anyone that does uh, take the time to watch it will be really surprised by it. Nice. For Jolie, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee. You smile, mention something that you like.